What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another interview over here at Behind That Suit. My name is Holden Stefanroy, and we are in for a treat tonight. Joining me, I have two very talented individuals in front of me. Do you guys want to just introduce yourselves to the fine folk out there? What up, what up? It's YNG Easy, and this is Bird Gang. I'm with my boy Durant Productions. So, Durant Productions, Bird Gang, right here. Woo! Awesome. Let's get it. So I'm going to do my little intro thing. And basically um, what it is is that I know Easy for a minute now, actually. So it's actually a real pleasure. But the thing about Easy is while I've known him and like we said, what's up a few times, I don't actually think we've had a real conversation, like real sit down and have a chat in the entire time I've known this guy. But I've seen him perform live on multiple occasions. And let me tell you something. This map brings the energy to the stage. That is the thing that first attracted me to Easy or Young Easy. I don't know. It's I see his name on Facebook as uh, Easy Hamilton. So I'm just going to go Easy because it's simpler to say if that's okay with you. Got it. <laughs> awesome. But YNG Easy is the actual name, is written right below you on the screen in front of everybody. And uh, so I know him for a minute. He was uh, actually a part of my dude's band or at least affiliated with them, Safe and Sound. And uh, for those of you that have been around for watching Behind That Suit, the dude said that I know was doing reviews with us for a minute. So I was highly invested in seeing what uh, Mr. Uh, Young Easy was up to for a while. Actually, I've been checking his tunes as he's dropped them. Yo, um, basically, the man's music is freaking amazing. That's what I have to say. And it's versatile amazing. The best way I can describe this off the jump, just to give you, and we'll, we'll play a little cut. I mean, you guys that are here now, yeah, I've been listening to it for the last little bit. So a little bit, we'll play a cut when more people come in so that they can hear what it is. But I would argue that it's a good mix of what i'm calling lil peep meets melodic rap meets fucking i can rap all like rolled into a single bundle because i i don't know there's at least one track that just gave me the biggest lil peep vibes in the world and i just can't help it but then the next tracks where there's like a good sense of like he'd be like singing having this melody and flow where you're just vibing and i'm like it's like to the level where like i don't necessarily know that i'm listening to words i'm just feeling shit i'm just letting it on and the production, don't even get me wrong, the production is fucking stellar. It's got that vibes. It's got that thing. So look, if y'all are looking for boom baps, maybe this isn't the sound for you. But if y'all want to throw some shit on, when you sit in there copying and pasting in front of your computers or whatever your version of the grind is, this that shit that lets your brain get kind of spacey. But if you take the time to listen, you feel expressiveness. You feel real raw emotional energy popping out to them, a sense of honesty. And honestly, if you listen to the older stuff and a little bit of the newer stuff, you feel the sense of growth and change that happens between the styles and the energies. But on top of that, uh, it's just to make sure you know it, he makes sure he raps and shows you that the man knows how to lay it down proper. And I think that was really interesting to me too, that all of that was bundled together. We are absolutely going to get into the man's story and talk about all that good shit. So... I like to start off these interviews with a particular question now because I feel like it brings us all back. And I, I because because we got the producer man up in the room, I think it applies to both of you. It's an interesting question. So my girlfriend and my questions are long, but I hope your answers are long too. You know, it's an exchange. But uh, my girlfriend was washing dishes the other day. By the other day, whatever. And she had this Black Eyed Peas song playing on. And it was that, I got a feeling tonight's going to be a good night shit. And I realized we're getting a little older. And that shit was 10 years ago, Club Banger. And she's washing dishes and it's chores music now. And it got me thinking that 
at the beginning of all our musical journeys and inceptions, right, is going to be like our parents are doing chores and shit or taking us in the car and shit and all these different vibes. And that is our original exposure to music, right? There's nothing before that. There's nothing before what your mom was bumping when she was doing dishes kind of music. And then you might get the club hits, the other kind of vibes. So I feel like the musical journey of Young Easy and uh, I'm sorry, uh, I forgot the, pro the other name. I'm real bad. Grand Productions. Sorry? Grand Productions. Cool. Uh, Grand Productions, right. Um, and I want to understand what y'all sounds were like when you were little ones growing up in the house. Mm. It was a mixture of things, you know. Uh, come from a background of Jamaicans, mm. um, so it was a lot of a lot of reggae, calypso, you know, things to vibe, you know, especially on a Sunday when you're doing Sunday cleaning. So it was really a vibe, you know. So I got to really uh, get some inspiration from the greats, you know. So uh, the people that natural music, you know, the drums, the, the, the natural beats, the natural flavor, you know, from where music started with sound. Music was started with sound. Music was the first language before any other language. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Because I'm all about stopping you to go, that's a cool idea and I'd love to hear more. Mm. So can you tell us well, a, yeah, a bit more about music being the first language? Uh, well, before that, it's, it's all about going back to the roots. You know, mm. so like, you have to go back from where it started. You know, anyone could do anything. Anyone could rap. Anyone could jump into this. But do you actually know what you're doing? Do you actually know where your sounds coming from? Do you have the knowledge of the what you're saying? You know, because what you say really manifests the impact on everyday life. So pretty much it's just understanding the roots. So once you understand the roots, your music is pure. And you generate the love and the fans. They love it, you know. It speaks for itself. All right. Um, fair enough. So let's go back to you, Grand Productions. What about on your end of the things? What do you feel about um, what kind of music did you have growing up that it kind of led to your sounds? For me, like mostly, like I liked R and B and like a lot of trap. But like, and, not, um, not necessarily so much what you liked. What was around you when you were little? Like, what were your parents bumping? Oh, my parents were always bumping uh, R&B for sure. For sure, they were bumping R&B and hip hop, like you know, uh, Mob Deep, uh, you know, Nas, you know, the old school stuff, you know. So, like when you were young and growing up, you're saying that you had like Nas and Mob Deep playing when you were a little one running around. Yeah. Yeah, that's serious. That I was... liked, uh, and my dad he liked uh, Tupac. He liked Biggie. You know, my dad even got the same tattoo as Tupac on his stomach. You know. Yeah, serious. So, like, right off the jump, man, you got exposed to some harsh music. And I'm saying it because my experience is completely different. My parents were like, you can't have any music with swearing in it and blah, blah. So, it's like the opposite. Rap was, like, banned from my household. It just wasn't a thing that was allowed in there. So, I think it's so interesting that your exposure. But, yo, Young Easy, what are some good examples of artists that you grew up with, right? Because if you say, like, Calypso and stuff to a guy like me, it's like, all right, that's a genre. Who are some names that were like you're like youthful again stuff that you heard a lot that you would say we should all go check out because they remind you of you know younger times oh i would say right off the bat uh bone thugs and harmony mm. um that's where i got like a lot of my melodies you know the inspiration from that and uh the rapping you know they like to mix it up and that's the kind of style i picked up you know i don't just stick to 
one thing that I'm good at. If I'm good at two things, I'll do I'll do them all. You know, so that's what mixes my fan bases as, uh, as well. Um, Easy E, you know, got to give it up to the great. Got to started the path for uh, gangster rap to be exposed to the media. And um, I don't know, man. Eminem, Eminem is one of them. When did you? Oh, uh, so when did you like? Okay, like when did y'all first start like? Um, getting into music like because like i find there's a bit of a progression when you're young your parents and shit throw the music in your face right so your story kind of like starts at that point and then i feel like uh in the next phase of musical evolution for most of us it's around the puberty years you know 12 13 ish land and that's when we start to find our own musical identities with it so I guess the question then is around when did y'all start to discover these different bands that you started to like form your identities of like, you know, like that you attached to when you were like getting into music for the first time? Ooh, uh, 13 years old. Um, I would say that's when it started, you know, doing it for fun. I love poetry. I started writing rhymes down and uh, I said, hey, you know what? I can do it because I have something to say. Let me express myself through music. So that's where it got me all started. And uh, I don't know. Didn't really take it serious until people started liking my music. And I said, you know what? Let me go with it. Yeah. All right. So we got to unpack that a little bit because I feel like, like, let's picture it like we're trying to fill the details of your wiki page. So, like, mm -hmm. you start writing shit when you're 13. You know, you're writing your poetry. Do you still have any? Do you have any examples of your 13-year-old poetry that you could spit? I remember one. Yeah, feel free to. Remember, yeah, um, they asked me why I'm vicious. I said it's politicians who made me who I am to fill my nutrition. Mass extermination of this world is what they vision. I'm simply here on a mission. I failed, so I'm in prison. If God gave us the worst, then God's gift is a curse. Seeing my people starving, we're sleeping and stealing purses. Working, spitting these verses. I asked, is it really worth it? I'll sell my soul to the devil, but I failed to write and curse him. Something like that, you know? So you, you came up. That's like a thirteen-year-old, young Easy's yeah. like like a really young Easy's voice. Like you were actually like, I just ask, what kind of like led to you feeling this kind of way? Like what what kind of state of mind were you in? Because that seems like some heavy shit that's going. I don't want to like go too much into the super or whatever you don't want to talk about. But I think it's always interesting to understand the progression of an artist that leads to it. Because you got a certain darkness in your music today, right? Was that always something that you embraced that you were like drawn to? And I, I like, I love the dark shit myself with my musical taste. Like I love this shit. So I don't say it in a negative way. I think it's a cool artistic expression. I guess I'm just curious, like, cause that's heavy, man. There's no way 13 year old me could have come up with such political shit. Like that sounds like you were politically fucking in tune as a, a young mm -hmm. adolescent. How does one get to that point? Well, I studied uh, while kids were watching cartoons. I was watching the news. <laughs> the <rapper. laughs> wow. But uh, I, I don't know. I really got into what's going on in the world, you know, at a young age. Like, I felt like I understood my purpose at a young age. So when you understand your purpose, you want to dig into it. You want to understand, like, okay, I know what the purpose is. How do I get there? It's like a catalyst. What you gonna do? How you gonna do it? And where you gonna go? Yeah, that's it. So I, I always thought I always thought like that at a young age. So the darkness stems from the the rock influence because I used to listen to rock as a child. Yeah, that rock. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Green okay. Day. You know, 
what inspired me to so i like to embrace the good into the dark so it's like a yin and a yang i like to mix the two you get uh, what i mean i do dabble into third dimension and then dabble into the fourth <laughs> i think it's fascinating honestly were you reading a lot when you were younger yeah yeah read a lot books 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 didn't really watch much but the news and cartoons i can't lie yeah i watch my what's your Saturday favorite morning. what's your favorite one sure. from the saturday morning days Oh man, that's a uh, yeah, that's a hard question, guys. Geez. I was big on Sonic Underground just because of theme. <laughs> no, that's one of the best fucking themes. Let's be real. Oh my god, <laughs> bro! Remember Ed and Eddie, bro? Mm. Mm. Cartoon Network. Cartoon that's Network. That was the best. Bro. But that's crazy. And so, what kind of stuff were you reading when you were young? I'm, I'm an avid reader, so anybody that says reading, I get excited. Uh, one thing I want to talk about reading. First book, definitely the Bible. Okay. I grew up in a pretty, uh, I don't want to say Christian or anything, religious religious uh, family. So I read the Bible. I tried to understand it more because I felt like what the Bible is saying has more to it, you know. So I was a child that liked to, like, know more, dig deep, you know, really get into the roots of why is this? Why is that? Why is that stool there? Why is that piano playing these keys? You know, like I, I was that kind of child, you know, I was just like, I want to dig into things. This can't be without this, you know, whatever. So that was my thought process growing up. So I think it's crazy, though, um, that you actually you're one of the first guys I've talked to since I started doing this interview thing that has definitely been that invested in like learning from such a young age. Like that's to me, it's impressive. Um, but like, all right, so you, you've already started learning. You've got a good sense of the world at 13. You're writing some poetry down. Uh, are you like rapping it or is it spoken word? Or are you just like, are you like sharing it with people at this point? Sharing it, yeah. I'm just sharing my journey. Pretty much what you hear well, in my music is my So what I'm saying is, is the poetry you were writing when you were young, are you sharing that with other people at that time? Or are you writing it for like yourself? Like when do you start migrating into, yo, I'm, I'm actually going to pursue this more music serious thing? Uh, that happened at hmm, that happened at eighteen. Uh, t- twenty one. It happened at twenty one. So what's uh, going on then between like thirteen and twenty one? You go through high school, I guess. Are you you're still are you making music even if it's not for like serious? But it's it's more for myself, you know. So I I would release it, but it wouldn't be like anything that I would want to expose to the world. I'll just put it on for myself. Whoever clicked it, whoever clicked it, whatever, you know. Okay. And that's what generated the fan base because people liked what I was doing, you know. So it started to get serious at some point. So I think it's a twenty-one. So I think it's really interesting that somewhere in your teenage years you got to the part where you're actually releasing songs. And I say this because, um, I mean, making an album, let's say, or making a song, not everybody actually knows how to do that. So how did you figure it out? Like, what did you actually do? Did you have a studio at home? Did your boy have a studio? Tell us a bit about your teenage music making process, like that logistics of it. Mm. Well, like I said, um, let's go back to what we were talking about for the Sunday cleaning. Get back to the root of music. So I just understood the root of that music and understood what music was about. So I realized that everything I needed to say, I I could do it, you know, because I could do it with the language, with music. Uh, so that's why I make music. Uh, it's for 
generally for people to understand the story, you know, understand the, uh, the struggles, because I feel like everyone goes through the same thing I'm going through. I'm just expressing it in a different way. But like, you feel me? I definitely do. And I think it's super present in all of your music. But I guess what I'm curious about more is like, how did you literally record it? Like, did you have access to studio gear at that time? Because make releasing songs as a teenager is fucking impressive. And that's something oh, yeah. that you should, uh, I would love to hear more about, like how you literally, did you meet beat makers online? Were you jacking beats? Like what was going on in your world at that time that lets you get these songs out? Uh, I, I worked at, um, not worked. I, uh, recorded at this youth program called MBS. Okay. And, uh, uh, they are a community center for the youth to go there, book their time and record stuff. So I had that aspect and I also had my home studio. So I went out, bought myself a mic, bought myself a few equipments and started recording with my Mac. Yeah, that's crazy. And where did you get the beats yeah. from? Were you producing them yourself? Uh, the beats were from the producer from the MBS studio. Okay. So they, I would sit there, they'll produce it for me, lead it in the direction, and then match it up. And it's pretty cool that you say that because I know that there are several programs like that for adolescents out there where they can like pop by the youth center and there is like a studio set up and there are engineers on deck. So I think that kind of stuff is absolutely worth sharing with the world because then more people do become aware of the options because that gave you, you know, you're talented today, right? And part of that is the length of time that you put into your craft, becoming better at this. And uh, so having that opportunity... So, and, the other half of it is, dude, man, your level of ambition at like 13 is insane. So I don't want to take away from like who you are and the efforts you put in. But I'm just saying to let people know what good options are available is always a positive. So you're recording, oh, yeah. so you're releasing stuff then um, and whatever. What are your, uh, are you like stuck to a particular sound at that time or are you already this versatile artist from the jump? I was a versatile artist, but behind the scene, I was mostly doing hip hop. Right. So I was to the roof of uh, boom bap and uh, you know, like uh, drum music and like the culture music, you know, African beats and nineties um, uh, New York hip hop, you know. That's fair, and. Um... Mm -hmm. So at that point, you're put. You're basically a rapper at this point. Are you performing live at all, or is it mostly just releasing tracks? We perform live. It would it would be like um, the center would literally give us a. Oh, uh, we have an event at a park, you know, for the for the summer. So we'd have a big truck. We'll perform live, do our thing, a bunch of people enjoying the festive things in the park. And yeah, th those are pretty much my shows at that time, at that period of my life. So that's crazy because you got the opportunity to do this youth center. I'm, I'm assuming it's a youth center. Um, and you, you got to do that. Um, you got both the opportunity to get into a studio and record. And you had the opportunity to get actual practice in front of crowds performing in public. Because let's be real, the park performances are fucking hard compared to like the, the, you know, the more bar ones where everyone's kind of wa uh, wasted. Yeah, sure. you, need, you need to grab their attention. You need to grab their attention. So the fact that I had such a hard way of learning how to perform it, it was i felt like it was just terrible. because in me as well i like to entertain and i feel like i'm an entertainer so that aspect of being an entertainer i could 
really capture the the attention of the crowd. You feel me? And I felt like that was important. So during my process in life, when I did shows, it's always been a crowd pleasing experience because I learned that aspect as a young age and I realized how important it was to carry that with you going on for it. That's fantastic. Um, so that so what happens after high school? Do you go to Sejep? Just for those that are not in Canada, uh, Sejep is... Also, are you from Montreal? I forgot to ask that. That's a fucking important question. No, <laughs> I was born in Washington, D.C., Maryland. Straight up. I'm married. He's an American man. <laughs> and uh, wh- when did you come to Canada? Well, here's the thing. came to Canada when I was three. So I was pretty much a citizen since time. So what I'll do is I'll go to school in Canada and go back to the States as soon as I was done school, summer, had my summers there, pretty much grew up in the States. But Canada's always been my home, so I settled here at the age of, what, 10? Okay. And I just stayed here. I'll visit in the summer sometimes here and there. And but yeah, my you, And where'd you go to high school? Uh, Westmount and James Lang. Okay, fair enough. That's some yeah. EMSB stuff right there. Um, <laughs> after high school, do you go to Sejep or do you go into other avenues in life or do you go to the States even? What happens after you finish high school? So finish high school, I go, I take a trade, uh, studied in nursing at PAC okay. and realized it was, wasn't really for me, finished it, uh, went to Sejep Dawson, uh, study, uh, social, social studies and, uh, I just realized at one point that I was like, you know what? I'm really good at going into this music stuff. I need to have my focus. So I, I worked. I worked. I took jobs, uh, pushed carts, you know, at a probably go. Uh, did, did my hustle, did my security. You know, so I, I really I really pushed to achieve my goals, you know. So I felt like working, get my money, and then create my own business. Okay. So... You basically started a business when this is around 18 to 21, I assume, in that in that range. Exactly. Yeah. So what was so? Uh, what kind of business were you running, if I can ask that? Music, entertainment. Um, I'd have groups. Um, I pretty much uh, pr- uh promote my uh, artists. Uh, we'd do shows. We make money off shows. Make money from the sales of music. We used to sell CDs. Uh, back in the truck, you know, back in those, back in those times, you know, hold, hold so it's on. just like, yeah. So, Cause like, I feel like you're really like downplaying something that's pretty huge in your life here, man. How many people actually start a company of some kind at that age, right? And then proceed mm. to actually find artists and do something like hustle CDs out of a truck. I don't know that many people in, in my life that have actually gone through something yeah, like that. that. The streets, man. That's the streets. I feel like the streets taught me a lot. You know, uh, I love my family. I learned from my family a lot, but I feel like I was really a product of the street. Like, so I was a product of my environment. And I learned a lot from different people, you know? Like, which, a lot of people had which, their aspirations. Uh, which part of Montreal are you from in that regard at that point in your life? NDG. Straight up. You still around NDG? Oh, yeah. I dabble from time to time. Still in NDG. Have a place there. NDG. Yeah. Uh, straight up. I'm a, to be fair, I'm also NDG. I mean, I've ran into you in the streets, so I know like we're not that far away. Um, but uh, yeah, it's straight up. I just wanted to put that down on the record. Um, 
so that's interesting. I want to know more about this era of your life because I feel like not a lot of people understand what it even means to run that kind of a company. Uh, do you think you could elaborate a little bit on what you were actually doing, like what it means to run that kind of a thing? Um, you have to understand. You have to, you have to have a mindset of a businessman, for one. Uh, you need to know how to manage. You need to know how to, for one, actually, for one, control your money. Okay. Ooh, number one, save your money. Uh, save your money and invest investing money so i learned how to flip it that's what you learn on the street how to flip so you put that in your you put you put that in your business and <laughs> you're making bread so once the bread that you make you invest in yourself and you have the you have the you have the tools to build an empire so that's what i did i built my own little empire and i learned how to control it and learn how to manage myself you know and i had a solid group of people behind me number one you have to make sure you have a solid team definitely so, mm. so why, why don't you tell us a bit about like how many acts were you working with? What are the kind of like I, what are the kind of pieces of the puzzle that create something like this? Like obviously you don't have to give away all the tricks of the trade, but the more information you can share about how this works, because I can tell you one thing: this is the kind of shit that so far the viewers have been enjoying the most is how people have actually built their businesses, the kinds of things that have worked for them how they like in, in more a little more detail and i say that because it's it's perceived as educational and it makes you like it really just helps everyone so as much as you're willing to share about what you need to do to actually pull this off like you know you have to find a video guy you, have, you know that kind of stuff like what are the pieces to this puzzle piece of the puzzle is first um make sure you work hard make your money save your money Buy your equipment that you need to uh, really uh, do what you love, you know, because uh, ain't no one's going to do it for you. So you got to take that into consideration and uh, go with it. Never have that feeling of self-doubt because once you have self-doubt, nothing really happens because mm. you're fighting yourself at that point. So I like to grab the bull by the horns and actually make it happen. So with that is that I want to teach people to really like, it starts with you first, 100%. It starts with you. And once you're comfortable and you love yourself and you're good with yourself, you excel. So that's when you're like, okay, yo, listen, I'm ready to do this. Let's make it happen. All right. So yeah. do you have any like crazy stories of your time back then? Like just intro, like what were you guys up to? Were you throwing shows at that point for these people? Were you like doing videos? Like what kind of stuff were y'all running? Uh, sh uh, so pretty much like a, almost like a record label. Okay. Almost like, yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily say a record label because we're an independent record label, if you want to put it that way. So I, I pretty much controlled that aspect. And uh, so we'll do shows. Like I said, we'll make money off of shows. We do jams, uh, little house events, whatever, whatever, wherever we can perform. Uh, we performed and uh, we made our money off that. And uh, while we were doing the shows, we sold our albums, you know. So we opened the trunk, like here, here's a CD, blah blah blah. So people will bump our stuff and uh, find us on social media. Cause I'd always remember I'll put my social media right on the CD at the bottom. Yeah. Got to make sure you know you market yourself. Mm. So so that's the kind of shit right there. Cause yo, do you got yeah. anyone watching it? You got to pay attention to what he just said. That was fucking genius right there. So 
let's break that down. He went, set up the shows, right? And then to ensure yeah. the monetization happened, right? Because a lot of people just in Montreal, I've seen when they throw shows, um, they go ahead and they they rely entirely on ticket sales as though that is the only way that a person can have a revenue stream happen as though there's no other flow and conversion funnel after that. But you guys said right off the jump, you did the shows, which is like your advertisement, right? That's advertising. Yo, we got the, we got the vibes. I'm there ready to go. You had the albums in the trunk of the car that you're popping off, but you didn't even stop there, right? You proceeded to make sure that they knew how to get a hold of you and follow you with the album sale that went on right there. So y'all watching this, that is something to absolutely pay attention to because it makes sure that your brand gets growing, you start to collect those followers, but most importantly, you make money in the process. And I think that's super interesting. But when was this? This is like 2010-ish? Is that that kind of era? Exactly, yeah. So this is pre-streaming and you could actually still like flip CD. Can you? Do you think you could still flip CDs at the back of a trunk? Like right now in 2020? People can flip USBs. Ooh, that will be good. Put your thing on a USB. Uh, also put a picture, your social media in that and then back. Have you tried something like that? No, but if anyone <laughs> wants to use it, I just said it. Come on, let's get into it. Let's you just start a hustle. I definitely know that that was done about five years ago. It was a thing. A few bigger artists had done something like that, and there's a way to even lock the USB so that the files can't get taken off unless the person like reformats it. But uh, yeah. we'll we'll get into the modern marketing stuff now. I was just a little curious because I mean, man, there's not that many people that literally sold CDs at the back of a trunk in Montreal that I I know. I mean, there's certainly a lot of a certain era, but that shit doesn't yeah. exist today, right? Like there are a few people I know that can pull off a hustle like that, and not many. Um, so you basically created an enterprise that allowed you to build brand equity. Uh, how many how many shows did you guys throw? How long does this last for? Um, I would say about five years. Mm. About five years. Until that time, that's when I took focus on myself and took myself serious and pretty much exposed myself from there. So, so that's when it hit that's when it hit that point. So this is a run you're about 21 that this happens? Exactly. So you got in a lot of feedback. Things were going good. People were feeling your shit. You guys exactly. were doing the show things. You basically built the financing that you... Uh, if you were to give a young artist a number, like how much money would you need to have in the bank before you were to like launch a solo enterprise in your opinion? Because not many people talk about savings. So it's an interesting question from your perspective. Mm. Um, what, uh, with that, um, I would say rounding the years, I say a good 20,000. Mm. So you want you want to work away, even 15. Uh, to be honest with you, there's there's loopholes as well. Ah, Say your friends, your friends are camera guys, or your guy has a studio uh, next door to you. So there's different aspects of different routes where you could save money in that aspect, you know. So if you have someone that can work it for you, use that into your, you know, into your way of getting there. But if it's so, you want to do it yourself, you want to save a good twenty thousand. That's that's a that's an interesting number, and I'm definitely want to come back to it. So you're um you're 21, and uh, you start 
deciding to push your music career proper proper and i feel like this is where like your story starts to to like gain momentum we'll say what happens at 21 what what is it like at that point and walk us through a little bit the beginnings of the, your career well at that point i released a song which was uh famous called ass and um i decided to shoot a little video for it uh shout out to fatty soprano Mm. Uh, really a videographer. Uh, he's based in Toronto now. Uh, he's really doing his thing, and he he um, shot a video for me. So I I paid him. Um, we did it and uh, we put it out there. I didn't really market it at first because I was just like at that point I was just like ah, I didn't really care, you know. I'm just gonna release my music, but it really hit and uh, it caught attraction and. Got me, um, got Sony's radar. You got so, Sony's Sony, radar. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, I knew it was serious. And you didn't so do anything, like, like with ads or anything? You just put it out? See, the other thing I want to tell you, this is really important. It's not about the numbers. It's about who's watching. Oof. Oof. You, you can have 50 people watch your stuff. Who are those 50 people that's watching your stuff? Uh, investors, marketers, Preach. producers. You never know. So what you want to do is that's, that's that's literally what happened to me. I just shot it out there and I never knew. I didn't really. So at that point I was like, okay, I have something serious. Uh, so whatever offer Sony offered me didn't really work out because, you know, reasons of ownership. And, uh, do you want to elaborate on that? Because I think people really need to understand why it's a good idea to turn down a deal. Yes. Oh, well. The money that they give you is the money that you could have made yourself hustling and and investing your money and saving your money and, and literally putting it towards yourself. So at that point, you are not you don't own anyone anything if your music doesn't hit. Because if your label when they when they want you, they want to hit. See if that flops, you're left to pay and pick up whatever hits that you didn't end up paying because they lend you money. They lend you money, right? And it's it's a loan. You don't want that. Why not make the money yourself and build yourself? You can do what a label can do. So and once you do what a label what what you can do, a label comes sees you. Now you're talking business. Now you want to integrate your business towards them and what you guys could do together as okay. a business partner, not as ownership. So if y'all really pay attention to what he said, is if you're in a position where you, the label wants you because you have something already running, something up and operational, they come at you a little more like an equal. If you're just an artist and they approach you and they want to run your shit for you, they're going to give you a loan and then you're basically gambling because I've watched enough content on the internet to know that most people's hits don't hit. In fact, most people, when they do this label thing, they get trapped into what's called a debt cycle where your album doesn't hit but you're under obligation now to record three more and because you're under obligation you're effectively forced to um keep writing albums to pay back the last album and you never end up getting out of debt then you declare bankruptcy and at the end of the day who owns the masters in this arrangement the masters the publishing basically all the money that comes off of your streams who the label does but you have literally no dollars left 
So I just wanted to make sure that people understood that there is a difference in how this good. And it just shows how smart you are to be able to read that contract. Did you talk to a lawyer and shit at that point when you got approached? Or did you... uh, I had a lawyer. Uh, one of my good friends, um, his dad was a lawyer. So I was like, I hit him up. I was like, look, look at this contract. Told me, yep, nope, this is not happening. So, so took a for it because uh, read the fine print and everything. So, so at the end of the day, I, I just want to make sure everyone knows that nothing's not impossible. You know, you can do it yourself. It's about believing in yourself at that point, and that's when you're hit the tracks. All right, so you put out that first song. You caught the attention of Sony, and that must have been a huge ego boost, though. Like, that must have been, Ooh. like, you felt like a million bucks regardless, eh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that signified that I was going on the right direction. F, no. So, I mean, I guess with that kind of a sign so young, you're like, fuck it. No matter what, this is where I'm going with it. Um, yeah. And a lot of people I know know you in Montreal. And maybe it's the NDG bias because we are from the same area. But the fact is, a lot of people I know do know you. So you have definitely done something to make a bit of a reputation for yourself. And I have to commend you on that. Um, so what happens after that first song? You get this late, this Sony situation. You decide, fuck it, I can do it myself. Tell us a bit more about what comes next in that story. Well, what comes next is um, now that I was at a point where, okay, I have my music. Uh, I know it generates a fan base. I, I know all these things, right? So what do I do next? I decide to save money and travel. Whoa. So once I yeah. Once I traveled, I took my music elsewhere in the world because I wanted to push my music myself and uh, go there, go to radio stations, go to Jamaica, go to the States, you know, travel, push my music everywhere I've gone to and uh, generate fan base from all over the world. Pretty much. Okay, we got we to gotta talk more about this. Um, yeah. I, this is a, this is a first for me, um, in terms of it. And it's an interesting strategy, right? Because it's not something that I think everyone would think about. You make your, cause how much music do you have at this point? Uh, just to give an example, do you have like albums out, mixtapes? Like, have you produced a lot of content like in that regard, or is it just a few singles? There's categories. There's some, <laughs> some music that's never going to be released and never been released. So it's just like, yeah, I've just been in the studio, you know, consistent consistency is key but like and back then they, though like how, when you when you're going to travel how much stuff do you have out at that point when you're going to go travel and promote your music uh not much to be honest with you i have family all around the world so well, basically what i would do is i if i need somewhere to stay in new york i'll hit up my family member i'll stay in new york with them and they, they would travel, they will do the expense of the traveling and all that. So it wasn't really like such an expense for me at that point, other than the traveling. But I meant more so, like how much music is in your catalog at that point when you decide to go travel to promote it? Yes, uh, ooh, uh, I would leave with at least three albums when I go. I'll take three albums with me, I'll take a, a bunch of singles, at least five, 10 singles, and uh, yeah, I would go to other countries and expose it with those albums and go to a radio station, pop it there. But the thing is, uh, yeah, I made sure I came with my content, came with enough content. Right. And that's important. You don't want to go there for one song and then it's like, oh, what do you have more? Uh, let me go back and uh, make some more and come back to you. No, 
you have to make sure you're serious. You want to give someone a taste of everything that you can offer. And more is everything. You have to show the work. Exactly. You have to show the work you've been doing. So you would go down to these different – you went straight to radio stations. Is uh, When was this? When were you going to radio stations? Uh, at this point, I'm 23. So like 2012, 13-ish, around then? or No, maybe a little later on. Okay. So, okay. Um, so you would go to the radio stations directly. What else would you do while you were in these places? Where did you travel? Was it just New York and Jamaica or what other places did you end up going? Anywhere that I could connect to, it was pretty much, even if I was to take a Greyhound, any city that we'll stop to, I'll make sure I stopped and promote my music to people around. You know, so I always made sure that I had my brand with me. You always have to carry your brand with you. You're, you're hustling at that point. And that's when I'm saying you come back from the street. You have to hustle. Who are you? Who are you in the streets? Who are you when you're exposing your business? Who are you? Let people know who you are. So pretty much that was my mindset. And I made sure that people never forget the name. So were you like doing shows in all these different places? Were you like networking with artists? Were you like linking up with everybody? I link up with promoters of the cities and they would show me a spot and I'll make sure that once everyone heard my music, I'll go back and do a show. So this wouldn't be the first trip. It would be my second trip that I go back to do the shows. Because now the first trip is for people to recognize me. Right. The second trip to do a show and the people that remember you, they're coming to that show. And they're going to tell their friends, yo, this guy, this whatever CD, you have to check him out. Trust. Okay, so that's really interesting. So what you're saying is then you have to come in with a bit more of a, a strategic approach to it. So if I heard correctly, the first time you went into any of these places, you didn't go with the intention of promoting, well, not not promoting, to perform. You went there with the intention of effectively moving your music, let's say selling your albums, putting the word out, and eff effectively establishing a small core fan base of people that would have your back. And you put in this work of literally going to these places uh, how how would you meet these people? Did you go to like bars? Were you just like how how would how would that literally work out? Uh, like I said, it'll be family that knows people around the city, and they'll connect me. And also social media. Uh, I would like to when I, I I used to use fucking MySpace and all those MSN <laughs> fucking Facebook and way just back. Really promote my stuff on there to different cities and attract different people in that city so that when i went there I'd be yo i'm in the city and people would see that I'd be like oh shit they're in my city bam uh link up on the spot meet me here let's discuss what we can do yo so that's nifty because in theory we could even replicate that today if anybody could you just go in because every city has like seventeen thousand fucking music groups right so in theory you just <laughs> have to go to all these fucking music groups in another city lay down a foundation like that played in your shit and instead of linking some auction montreal let's say like what most of us are doing go link in other people's cities with the intent of making friends there on facebook so that when you land there because not everyone's gonna have family like you have right that that was a bit of a, a lucky break on your end but you can still sorry it's not that easy i don't have to make sure to add that up my journey but i'm saying if you want to do it with, you don't have any links to family or whatever save money <laughs> That's the thing. 
No, that's actually a really powerful thing because like you said, you either have the connections or you need the money to do it. But I guess I'm wondering if like you were to do the, so let's say I were to jump into a Toronto group and make friends with like seven Toronto rappers, then jump into a Calgary thing and make friends with like seven Calgary rappers. I could effectively make homies in all of these different cities, right? And then when I went there, I'm not like going into some place completely empty. I'm able to have like a few connections on the ground already that I could like link up with and help navigate the waters. So I think it's cool because what you're saying, even if I don't have the family there, it's replicatable with today's technology. Therefore, it's a really oh. interesting fucking strategy for like... Out yeah, yeah, social media now. Social media is everything. Especially your, your thing can just bump online. It doesn't have to be in a physical form. Anything can happen. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that you put in some serious work to make that anything could happen. I mean, even if you go back to your video, right? I know who Fatty Soprano is. That dude is an excellent videographer. You didn't just make oh, yeah. a video. You got a good guy to work with, and you paid him probably what he's worth, and he therefore made you a high quality video. And that effort, the backing that you put into that, created the opportunity to be seen. Because let me tell you something: you make some cell phone video shit, and then they see that, and then they come see your video especially in that era, is a huge difference. And the fact yeah, is, yeah. everybody has a video today. Not everybody has a video back then. Most people are like just audio. Nobody had the money for videos. I know back in like 2012, I have no fucking music videos. I was uploading like fucking screenshots of myself or whatever. You know, the designer made me a title card. It was straight audio files. So just to understand the comparative landscape, what you're saying is you, you walked in wearing Gucci in a room full of Old Navy. That's basically what you ended up doing in terms of your presentation. So I don't want to downplay that because that is an important part of this package. In fact, some of the biggest misplays in my life are the fact that I didn't take the time to present myself correctly because I didn't know who was watching me. And even in first stuff... Sorry? First impression is the best. It's big facts. But the yeah. fact that you also put that work in to like go to each of these cities digitally right because you said it's digitally then you land so step one make your online connects step two land and make the real life connects step three come with a frenzy and that is an interesting strategy that anybody can really rep maybe maybe not like literally anybody your life has to allow you to do that you have to maybe have the right skill set to sell yourself per se but the fact is anybody could replicate that strategy so i just wanted to thank you for sharing that with everyone because that's fucking cool that was a cool thing to share with the world, man. Appreciate it, bro. Um, so you do that for a while, right? And then what's going on? I guess you're continuing to make new music during this process. You're making networks all over. And what comes next for you? As people are watching me, I'm getting contracts. Uh, I run into film. And I was always into being an actor because at a young age, I was into wrestling. So okay. I was a bit of a pro wrestler. So, um, like you were I a pro wrestler. Yeah. Damn. Uh, pro wrestler hockey. The number one sports. <laughs> Shout out to all the hockey players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So, uh, well, I started my sport, uh, sports journey, and then I'll lead into that. Um, so, growing up in Canada, I was really like into the, the environment and uh, what Canada has to offer. And I pretty much loved the sport of hockey at that point. 
because it was like, to me, it was the national sport. And um, I decided to do it. And I took me roots. I had to learn how to skate, do it myself. But I was a quick learner, did what I had to do, signed up for a team, and uh, pretty much led my, led my lead there. And I was, I was a really good player, uh, captain of my team, uh, pretty much lead scorer, fastest skater in the league, uh, second hardest shot, fucking fluked my shot and I missed. But anyways, <laughs> I'm not gonna go back there. But yeah, um, so I was really an active guy in sports and when like, winter was away uh, in the summer, I played soccer, you know, to stay active. Um, I love soccer. Oh yeah. So with, with that, um, at the same time, I did another physical sport of pro wrestling because I love the art of wrestling. And a lot with wrestling is um, it comes the acting. So uh, I was pretty much doing some type of WWE stuff, you know. So I was pretty much acting my character as like a black, the Black Raven. Where were you doing and this? Uh, this was cool. See, my time frame for that is really fucked. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, were you part of leagues? Were you doing it yourself? Or, like... I was in a promotion. I was in a, I was in a promotion called... Uh, uh, fuck. XFW. XWF. I think cool. it was. XWF. Yeah. So, um, they, they were a backyard wrestling. I also did Olympic wrestling. Um, so, I did my... I had my background in karate, judo and uh, other type of martial arts. Yeah. So what led me to wrestling was to let me expose my martial arts. And I, I got in, and so I started performing with them. And so, yeah, I was a pretty, I was a pretty like, intense wrestler at that point. Like, I thought it was going to be my career, but like I said, uh, the music was where it's at, you know? So with that aspect of acting, um, I got approached like back we're back under the current story right. so i was approached by uh by a uh, agent right um he told me hey there's casting core they're out of montreal and uh pretty much any hollywood film movies they mean extras or actors or whatever they'll call you so i pretty much gave him my resume and from that point music kind of slowed down because i went into the field of acting i mean i get so, that yeah, I had my few gigs in um, number one movies. I did a lot of the X Men. Um, I was a I was a mutant for the first X Men. Um, I did crazy. a lot of the, and so really, I just got into the film and I really liked it. So, yo, can now you, that I have, can, can you just tell us about what it's like to work on an X Men movie? I mean. Like that is one of those things that not a lot of people are gonna have an experience because your X Men's huge. That's like huge actors and shit. What's it like to actually work there? Yeah, working with Hugh Jackman too. Yeah, yeah. I bumped into him a couple times. We talked, you know, chopped it up. We we're there at the premiere as well. Um, you got to go to also, the premiere of X Men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was invited there because I was part of the acting class. Wow, dude, that's nuts. Yeah. Yo, what was that like? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. It was, it was definitely an experience, and it, I don't know, it's a different world. Like, the Hollywood acting world, it's a different world. And uh, it kind of resonated with uh, my music, so, and I was just like, 
I love this world. I started, yeah, I started becoming an actor. And from that point, my music kind of slowed down from there. And so um, leading on from that, I jumped back into music um, at least three years prior. Okay. But what what yeah. made you decide to, let's say, pivot from acting back into music? Um, acting starts to get slow. There'll be movies where I'd have to travel and I, ha- I would have shows in the city. So it didn't really intertwine with my schedule. Okay. So I, I wasn't really there. So I never really renewed my actions, my actress. So... Uh, at that point, I just said, hey, let me get back into the, the music thing because I really had a passion and I missed it at that point. So, it was fun while it lasted, you know? So uh, what brought you, what, what happens to get you back into music? What's going on at that world? Like, how does that happen? Dude, that is, I dropped a song and it generated the same, well, not the same, because a lot of people had to realize that I was bad. But it generated again. And I was just like, it's like, it felt like I never left. It felt like no one gave up on me because I left them. And I felt like I did a dishonor because I left them with the music. Mm. And like I needed to reconnect with my fans. So at that point, I started to have a loyal fan base that I started to realize. I started to get messages from people that said, yo, if it wasn't for your music, the, uh, I wouldn't be here, you know? So I, I felt like, you know what? At that point, it's starting to make an impact and I feel like I shouldn't turn away from my fans. Yeah, that's crazy. So you like, so you're all about that fan connection then. Would you argue, do you like maintain relationships with people? Like, so you would go around and you would meet all these people and you would use social media to stay in touch with them. So if people like hate you up, you just talk to them? All the time, all the time. Uh, I'm not, I grew up humble. So I'm not that type of guy that'll be like, oh, I'm not gonna talk to this person, whatever, whatever. Uh, I like to make sure that everyone's having a good day. You know, I, I make sure I talk to my fans and interact with them, you know? Let them know that I appreciate them. And that comes a long way in life. Appreciation and uh, respect. Mm. You know, so I like to give that gratitude. Dedication. 100%. No, I feel the dedication, but I also feel the humbleness and respect. Like things that, like you know, are noticeable for me. He was on time. He was even early, I believe. He he was there five minutes before the agreed upon time, which is respectable. Um, are you a punctual person in general? Yeah, yeah, grew up that way. Kind of old school. I I, I grew up a lot. It's like a, it's repetitive because I say this all the time, and it's really important. A lot of loyalty, honor respect yeah i don't mean to cut you off but i just want to give up uh, a big ups to seeb dread seeb dread is a another mc he's a fuck he's from new brunswick i believe if i'm wrong i'm sorry seeb dread and he just said uh bless you for being humble and real so when we got a fan that's saying shit to you i feel like i gotta let you know that they hear and that they're watching shout out g so um that's really cool, man. I think there's a lot to like take away from that, right? Because I, I feel like sometimes the artists don't know how to talk to fans correctly. And I'm always trying to look around my city and go, how can we be smarter 
about generating fan interest. And uh, one of the things I noticed is a lot of people are negative nillies. They really are all about the negative stuff. And one thing that's been consistent from you, I believe, is not that I've never actually really seen you do much that's negative on Facebook as an example. You seem to be like a generally fun person online. Um, but I feel like your appreciation to the people that interact with you is a huge part of the success. Like you have 10K fucking followers on Instagram, dude, or just under. Like I got 483 or whatever. Like, you know, like I'm looking at that. And I'm not trying to say like, like you said, numbers don't matter, etc. Who's watching matters. And trust me, there are some eyes on me that make me feel like how you feel right now. But like what I'm trying to say is more, I don't believe your 10K is fake. I think you earned that. I think you earned that with like actually doing what you described, talking to people, interacting with people. Like I try to answer every comment on YouTube within reason. There's a couple that are like, fuck off. I don't really want to answer that. Like, but 99% of the comments I ever got answered. Right. And so like, to me, I'm in the same wavelength as you. It's almost like consumer oriented thinking. Like you're worrying about what the customer, if you were to go business with it, cares about. And I think that's a really smart approach to take with your music. Um, so I just wanted to like point that out because these are the things I think that are the real key of what we're getting out of this conversations. See dread over here says I treat fans like my best friends with love. And my question is what drives the person behind the artist? So, um, why don't you, uh, let Sieb in a little summary, let you know him know, cause he's just joined us. What drives you? Uh, sharing, sharing drives me. Yeah. I feel like that's the key word pretty much, uh, the way I went through life and was really knowledgeable as, as at a young age, um, I feel like I have a due diligence in the world to really share my experience and my path. It could future help someone that's watching, you know, like make the right decisions. I love it. That's an amazing answer. Yeah. That's basically the whole point of what I'm trying to do with these interviews is really just that. So I love that you said that. Um, so let's go back to it. You have basically cultivated your following. Um, also, your lady friend Bonnie says solid answer. You're getting some love there. Um, but just uh, you basically built up this reputation, we can say. Uh, you're, you're dependable and trustworthy. People can come to know that you're like even to the point where you felt bad for going to do something like acting, which honestly, man, you go, look, I got the X-Men role. Everybody's going to understand. You got to go do your thing, even if it comes in a movie. But if you felt bad, you came back to it. You have all this support that's there. That's fucking dope. So how did, what did you do at that point? What came next? Really trying to build a team. Okay. So like I needed to go back from my roots that, Let's go back to the keyword of sharing. I felt like not only do I want to succeed, I want to succeed with the people around me. So I really always had this passion to build a loyal team. Because on the same topic of building an empire, you can't lift the pieces yourself unless you have a backing. Right. So that's what. See, it took it took a while to build, you know. I was making music, but it took a while to actually have solid teams because I did have people that were with me and literally had an ego and pretty much did their own thing, thinking they could do it themselves, you know. So, you know, you have to wish them the best at that point, but you have to really continue to build with your team. And once I had that loyal team, mm. 
now we're reaching to this point of where everything is coming and everything's coming back together and I'm literally back onto the I'm back on the horse. You All right, know, um, but that's like a three-year period. So before we get back to the horse, because we're going to get on the horse and we're going to talk about the future, man. I want to cover this shit proper, you know, because uh, this is the young, easy story, you know, like this is what's going to, because, you know, in theory, they can, you know, quote this on your wiki page type shit. So it's good to get as much as you can in this, because um, I know during that period, how do you link up with Safe and Sound? I, I'm curious about that personally, because that's how I saw you. I even have footage of you of like performing with safe and sound and shit. And so how did you link up with these guys? Like that's very out of scope for like you would picture of your average artist that does, you know, the kind of music you do. Maybe not completely if you're looking for that kind of shit, but like, I want to know more about this period of your life. Yeah. Uh, so let me go back onto like my rock. Influence. Um, I always had this thing of being like, yo, my rap would go good on a rock track. So I was just, oh, that'll be fucking sick. So I became just like a rap rock star. So pretty much Sid, how I met Sid, to my grocery time, I met him. Uh, he was my manager, you know? So shout out to Sid. What up? Yo, shout out um, Sid, for real. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much he had a band, you know? And I was like, yo, um, we had this, uh, we had a friend of ours that <clears throat> passed away. Uh, rest in peace, Jagger. Um, so how we connected is we pretty much wanted to do a tribute track for drag, uh, for Jagger. Mm. And, uh, so I had a rap verse and he had, um, we pretty much sat down, uh, in the basement playing the song. He played it on the guitar. We linked up with his band and said, Hey, we have a song. So when they had shows, they introduced me one time on stage and we did that song and cool boy, did people love it. So people started saying, yo, we want more of this. We want more of this. And so that's how we started working together. So we got a comment that said, music bringing people together to help heal. It's beautiful because it's completely in line with everything that you've been saying. And I like that about you. Your whole story is consistent. That makes it super believable is all I'm trying to say. Um, so straight up though, I wanna, I, I just wanna hear more about like your stories of this era. Like you're out there. You're in Montreal doing this. Are you touring? Like, what's happening in the last three years? Because that's a three-year period. Oh yeah, uh, I'm in Montreal. I'm in Montreal. I'm staying here, I'm letting the music generate like online, socially. So I'm just keeping in touch with like the other countries and stuff. And so yeah, um, on that aspect, I was pretty much more working with the band at that point. So we started doing a lot of shows, a lot of shows and did competitions. Uh, we came first place in Battle of the Bands. Um, Rockopolis, uh, second place. Uh, is this we with Safe amazing. and Sound? This is with Safe and Sound, correct. That's dope. So like, yeah, we did a lot of the porch fest. We did played on main stage festivals. And yeah, so it, it, was, really go it was really going down for us, you know? So. Uh, I, I loved that year as I loved doing acting, you know, I liked, I liked the branch off, you know, so, and the fact that I could branch off into the rock and it's still music, it worked, it worked best for me. So you were like part of Safe and Sound for a while? Oh yeah. Yeah. It'll be Safe and Sound, Young Easy, 
or if you know safe and sound, you know to expect me there. That's fair. I did know to expect you there at those shows. Um, so were you also putting out your own solo shit at this time outside of safe and sound? Uh, yeah, I would, I would drop solos at this point. So I'll drop every three months. I'll stay consistent with my stuff. Uh, that's when I was running off of SoundCloud. Okay. Um, Why three months? Uh, ooh, um, a lot of personal time. So I, I felt like I had to manage with family, you know, I had to step back a bit. So I wasn't really consistent with my stuff. But if there were shows, I would be there. Okay. So so dealing with family, my personal demons, and just um, needed a rerun, uh, like a reboot. But, so I made sure I balanced to. So if I – like you basically are then spacing out releases. You're putting out singles at this time, right? And you could argue that this really has worked for you, right? Like you're not in a bad position musically. So if you were to like give advice to people – Let's go in a little bit of a modern marketing question. Would you advise albums? Would you advise short projects? Would you advise singles? Which of these things do you think is the most effective in this current climate? Um, with that, I feel like it depends on your, your ability to go to the studio. That's number one. Can you if elaborate you on that? Yeah, sir. Go on studio every day don't drop albums drop singles eps drop singles because that way you're 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 saving costs on expense and everything if you're able to go to the studio every day lay down a track every hour blah, 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 save that in the in the vault and then you'd be like wait i have enough songs to make an ep i'm gonna just dash this ep right here and so it'll be it'll be pretty it's it's a scale of well, I mean, I think it's interesting because even what you're saying, right? So it depends on your ability. So if you go to the studio every day, you should release singles mm. because you can create like this backlog of a catalog and that creates a certain strategy. So you would say, how often would you release them? Because if you're making one uh, every day, would you be banging one out every day? No, uh, sing singles, it, it, it depends on... Okay, if you feel like you're doing way too much singles and you feel like, you know what, now it's time to drop a project. I feel that it, it, it's, it's to be like, I see you drop five singles, right? And then be like, okay, I feel like this is too much now. Now let me drop a, a project. So now I'm giving someone a juicy taste. So now that I drop that project, I could go back on doing singles. Then you know what, I feel like it's time to give them some juice. Bang, bang it out. So it'll be an effect of like giving someone a treat every time, you know, because you have a loyal fan base, they're loyal to your music, give them something more. So I, I think what, what is really interesting in what you said is that the singles aren't necessarily on these projects. You're giving them the singles, and then in addition, you have these projects that are coming out. Exactly, yeah. So now let's go to the other alternative. What happens if you can't go to the studio every day? What? How should you approach this shit? Um, uh, dropping singles. Just singles. Um, drop singles, yeah, because uh, like I said, um, if you don't have the ability to go to the studio every day, you don't have the, the, the expense, you know? So I would say when you do have the expense to treat yourself, make the song and drop it as a single. 
but make sure you stay consistent. By consistent, you mean uh, according to a particular schedule or just like once a month? Like, I'll drop a single once a month. I feel like that's that's fair. Okay. So let's say artists then should aim to put out something new and fresh once a month and albums don't really matter unless you have the ability to put out a single once a month and stash additional songs for an album. Is that a good thing to take away from what you just said? Correct. Awesome. I think that's super valuable information. I'm not going to lie because I've been experimenting with these kinds of strategies myself to like feel how it goes. And I think what you said is really powerful for people to hear. Um... When it comes to recording, though, how do you feel about home gear? Would you do the home studio thing, or do you prefer to go to, like, an actual studio place? An actual studio. Uh-huh. Um, or get a good engineer. Fair enough. Have a good engineer because um, it's about the quality. Like I said, if you're not releasing quality music, you're just wasting your time because people are going to be like, I like it, but it could sound better. You know, and you, that gives you the okay. You're you're releasing, but you're not ready yet. So you don't want anyone to tell you that. You want to release it and have like, wow, this production was amazing. And you want to you want to have that. You know, you don't want any negative critiques, which you're gonna get anyways. But as long as your music's good, no one can tell you anything. Right. So basically ensure that the quality of the product is big enough that you can it effectively withstands the criticisms rather because like people are going to have subjective criticisms like listen some of your music is going to get hated on by old heads that don't want to listen to new shit because that's just what it is that's the world that we live in does that make them right in my opinion fuck no you do a very talented approach on what your, your thing is right um so absolutely they're incorrect and if they really dig, they see you can back up anything that they might want you to even bring to the table. You've been there, you've done that, right? So I like that about you, that you're able to be versatile, be alive, fuck with everything, fuck with every kind of sound. That's amazing to me. Um, and haters are going to come on subjective shit, and that's just what it is. But that's not the same thing as, like, literally your song could be better. Like, I do album reviews, right? And what I call a four on five is when your song is good. It means you've hit all of the fucking checkboxes. The mixing is proper. The beat sounds alive and proper. Your fucking vocals are clean. You're in the pocket enough. All of the things. That, then at that point, everything above that is subjective taste, honestly. Right? That's when it comes. So I like what you're saying. You're saying make sure your shit hits that threshold so that nobody can tell you shit. Because at the end of the day, it's just taste. And that's an amazing position to be in. I've never heard a bad produce thing and i listened to your like fucking soundcloud today all the way back to like 2017 and shit like we're talking you did remixes on shit like uh fucking bad and bougie and whatnot do you think that kind of shit is worth pursuing uh oh especially at that time at the time where it was really cool to make remixes and mm. uh, a lot of my my remix that really hit the most that got universal talking was drowning okay um yeah can we can we talk about that because you just said something interesting there um mm-hmm. remixes yo forever preach dish jumped in with some flamey poos we got more people watching so i'm saying uh what up for yo this is pre chancobia montreal legend is all i'm saying um mm-hmm. but basically i want to know a little bit more about 
the timing of things because I think that's what you were touching on there. Our remix is cool today, in your opinion. Uh, yes, but in the right way of making sure that you have the rights to the music. Okay, can you elaborate a little bit more on that versus 2017 or so when that came out? Um, to to make sure that um, you hit up the producer of that of that beat and uh, uh, buy buy the beat, buy the beat because you want to make sure that it's not taken down, especially in this day and age where you can't really copyright. Um, you you have to make sure that your your financial is stable to buy the beat and go to the studio and making sure you can release that in the proper way so that when you generate the views and uh, the, the, the monetization and uh, you have royalties to the beat. So what would, how would you go about the proper way? What would you consider that to be? Uh, hitting up the beat maker uh, by email, finding a way to connect with him uh, through Skype or anything. Just find a way to connect with that beat maker and uh, ask him, ask the permission for the remix. Fair enough. And back in the day, did you have any issues with the remixes you put up back in the day because you didn't go about doing this? Uh, no, because uh, the remixes will be remixed by the producer. So the producer will remix the producer. So in that way, that producer owned that content. So I would make up that producer to get that beat. So. It'll be on the same tempo, but it's not the actual beat. Okay, so you made sure that you got any alterations required to avoid having any legal issues follow up. What about paperwork? Were you signing contracts with people? Were you going about it like that? Or were you like relying on word of mouth and stuff? Always, uh, always keep your receipts uh, because your receipts are your, are your contracts. So once you... Once you give ownership to someone for a product and you paid for it, it is now yours. So if you didn't sign paperwork, make sure you guys keep your receipts. And have you ever had problems with this kind of thing or has everything always just been kosher in your life? Uh, never had problems. Never had problems because I didn't do much of remixes, but I made sure the remixes that I did were proper. That's fair. I, uh, you actually used like the the cut of the Migos Bad and Bougie in that remix, right? Did you yeah. get like permission for that, or was that just because the producer had done that and you got it from the producer? The producer has done that, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and there's no issue then with using the Migos vocals at that point, or is that get cleared at the point? Uh, there, there, there wasn't any issues, but like I said, if an issue comes up, you settle it with the. Fair when enough. You settled, yeah. Did you get like a high number of buzz off of these remixes compared to like original releases? Like, would this be something you would say is worth doing if you don't have a buzz to jump on this remix thing? Even if you do it, you know, you do it right. But like, is this a something worth pursuing, or would it be better to just link up with your own shit? At that point, that's just fun. You know, this is a fun thing to be like, hey, you know what? I, I want to put my taste on this. No, but I, I, I would suggest that you stick with your stuff. You stick with your stuff. Uh, make sure that you have your content that you want to push out. So that's important. Uh, it's, it's for your content to be recognized. Fair enough. Um, 
So what comes after that point? So you basically have built up to this. So you dropped a project earlier this year, uh, I think, what's it called? Uh, Mark of the Beast. And it was a really yeah. interesting project to me. And I want to just point out because it is one of the most versatile things I have consumed all years in terms of no two tracks on the project sounding the same. The first one is this guitar medley where I don't remember if there's vocals. There might be, but it just really was like this guitar thing. And it really just caught me. I'm like, wow, like what? What's that? And then no vocals. Shout out uh, David Esteban. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is like really well done. Um, the following track, I believe, is uh, something a little more normal, a little more standard. The following track after that is this spoken word poem, which yeah. really blew my mind. There's a lot of depth in that. And then the bonus track, I think I saw it said on SoundCloud, is basically this Lil Peep thing. Like I, I That's yeah. basically Switchblades by Lil Peep, and you just took the hook, and then you just ran with that for the whole track, right? Yeah, exactly. That's fresh, man. I, to be fair, I kind of like Switchblades a lot, so I really enjoyed that one a lot, a lot, a lot. Like it made. Yeah. Okay, so what happened was, I'm listening to your shit, and then I had to stop and go listen to Lil Peep for like a good 45 minutes because your shit really put me on my Lil Peep vibes, and I just I don't know. It was a good thing for me, so I really loved the sound that you created with that. But why did you go so versatile with it? I mean, that's like four completely different sounds on the same project. That is an mm -hmm. interesting move. Tell us a bit about that creative process, how that came to be. Well, I want to talk about uh, Mark of the Beast in general. Um, Go for it. The reason why is uh, I felt like at the time I was going through a lot of dark shit and I was really going through a lot of my demons and I felt like I needed to express it in, uh, in, in an album. Um, I had a, had a really, had a, had a crazy journey, and uh, I really wanted to express it in an album. So what I started with is a beautiful note of just guitars, and just the sound of this introducing my story. So I really felt like those guitar notes really captures your intention, and really takes you along the ride. So, and then I bang it out with Mark of the Beast, where I'm really like letting go all my demons. And really in that song, I'm looking in the mirror and talking to myself and really discussing the person within me and really having a conversation with another person of the person that I can be. Mm. And I felt that's oh, what I expressed myself in Mark of the Beast. And that's the symbol, symbolic meaning of facing your demons. And then I liked how in the poem, you literally stop and like address the person listening, like, nah, literally you. And I think that's super cool because given everything you've talked about, that like connection uh, with your fan base is so important to you. So like, I feel like you were literally speaking to me in that moment and like it resonated within the project. But how did, so how did like you end up with this poem, this piece like that? Uh, that poem, I felt like, because I haven't wrote a poem in a long time, and I felt like I needed to express what the album was about, so I took that part of that little, like, story and really expressed my feelings throughout uh, a certain period of time to who I am now. 
So it was a lot of sacrifice, you know, a lot of um, a lot of friends you lose along the way, a lot of um, a lot of money, a lot of a lot of everything, you know. So at that point, is what makes you a man is how do you overcome? Mm. I'm gonna. And so, like, I think that's interesting because I believe on the last track, it was almost like a juxtaposition on, like, the Switchblade track. It felt like you were almost rejecting the Switchblade cocaine dichotomy of life, right? Like, you were... The rockstar rock life. The rockstar life. So you're giving that up and you're moving past it and you're going beyond it into a new adventure. Exactly. And I guess that would lead into the last year or so of your life. Um, so why don't you tell us what you have been up to over that period? Uh, from now, uh, from that period, um, I'm, I'm carrying you through a journey through the music that I make from now on. Um, I'm taking you through my life and I'm really trying to get to where I want to be. And that's, that's, that's going to be a whole different sound. So I want you guys to take a journey to, to what I, to, to my story, pretty much. Um, I want you to really sink in on the words and what I have to say. And uh, I feel like it will really resonate and help a lot of people that are going through the same thing. Fair enough. So how did this um, modern Halloween project come out? Mm. So I'm in the studio. Edward over here sent me a beat. And I was like, yo, this is a really dark vibe. I kind of like this. And I was like, yo, Halloween's coming up. Let me do a single. So we banged out that single. And nonetheless, he had plenty other beats that had a dark vibe too. I was like, you know what? At this point, uh, no one's made a Halloween album, Halloween EP. So I was just like, yo, let's go for it. Let's bang it up. So that's how that came about. It was a last minute thing, but... It's really good. I loved it. I had fun with it. So there are four tracks on this, and I noticed that you're sticking to four-track projects. Um, wh- yeah. Why? Why are you going with four songs? Um, to, to get out the story, to release the story. I want to give you the story as, as the best that I can, nice and sweet, short, and uh, I want to make it interesting. So I don't want to give you too much. But I want to give you just enough that you're interested to hear what's coming up next. Okay. So why don't you walk us through the story of Halloween? So the story of Halloween. Oh, see the Halloween, the first track is like a really uplifting track. It's really like a mainstream Halloween track. So I, I wanted to get people on the vibe of like a party. You know, we're stuck in quarantine. Let's fucking jam for Halloween, you know? People really <laughs> jam to it. So I was really, I was impressed. I liked it. Um, my second song is uh, "Fallen Angel." Mm. So "Fallen Angel" is uh, I, now I'm getting in depth of of the the demon part that I got rid of, and in that I'm talking to myself again, but in another dimension. So that's where you hear the opera sound of like, I fell, and I fell down, and I'm talking to the gatekeeper. Mm. So then, 
the gatekeepers trying to tell me that where I'm going is the wrong direction. Trying to, he's uh, the gatekeeper is that roadblock. See, I'm trying to make it through the gate, and that came, that gatekeeper is self doubt, uh, regrets, um, everything. That gatekeeper is the negative, is a negative energy that I I got rid of, and is trying to come back to me. So a fallen angel, I'm I'm expressing that I'm on the right path, and this is what I'm here to do, and this is what I'm set to do, and I'm opening the gates, whether you like it or not. I'm gonna be real with you. Of everything I heard in your catalog, that is my favorite song. Um, Thank you. I really love the way that you like you because you approach this like. Did you pitch shift or something? Where are you the vocalist in like the angelic kind of voice? That's me. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and then like, I feel like you have that conversation and then you go into this like rapid rappy voice and you just kind of like talk to yourself. I thought that was just amazing. And I love the way you ride the beat. I, I just, it was just my favorite track that you did on that project. Well, in general. Yeah. Uh, but what about the rest of the story? Well, that, that, that's, that basically it. Um, now we're leading on to Chucky. So Chucky is a song where. I'm basically talking about my lifestyle growing up on the streets. And um, I'm, I'm trying to express that this is not a lifestyle to be glamorized and glorified. And uh, this is a lifestyle that I want to tell you that is not fun. Mm. So when I express that in that way, um, I talked about what I've, I've gone through and the aggression that I had. So with that, that was the demon really letting out its rage. Um, but Chucky was a really hard and grimy track. And it's featuring a Young Nito. How did that collaboration come about? Yeah, Young Nito. Shout out to my, Young Nito, man. Young Nito, one of my artists uh, from Bird Gang. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's a really, really uh, talented guy. He's a... Uh, his rage is ridiculous. It's like he reminds me of a scar lawyer. <laughs> mm, For sure. I felt like, that energy. I, uh, he really, and he was on the hook of Mark of the Beast. He really like expressed that Mark of the Beast. So, with that, yeah, with, with that, Chucky's aggressive. And now, moving on to uh, Not Alone. See, not, not Alone was me going through a journey to see my demon for the final time. Mm. And I really express myself through the lifestyle I lived and the way I thought my thought message, my thought method uh, when I was younger. And I really expressed that in that track, um, telling my, tell my old self that I grew up now pretty much. That's awesome. So I want to know a little bit more about Burr Gang. Yeah. What is Burr Gang? Mm. A Burr Gang, we're a, group, we're a group, collective, and a family. So we're a family of uh, a lot of a lot of talented dudes and um, and, and girls. Shout out to Hannah. She's in Paris right now. Shout out Hannah. Um. And yeah, um, we decided we had 
we had the same aspirations and goals, you know? So we're like, yo, we can make this happen. You know, um, we have uh, producers, um, engineers, um, uh, we have the studios, we have filmmakers, uh, we have the whole nine, you know? Uh, so I felt like I built my team and now I want to make an impact with, with the with the gang, you know? Let us, let the world know what Montreal has to offer as a unit. Mm. So everybody in the Burr gang is from Montreal. Correct. Montreal and connected to Paris and uh in jamaica as well we have we have different artists we are just establishing ourselves here and taking it to the world that's awesome so how many people are in this collective Ooh, if you want to talk about artists artists we have five okay if you want to five six if you want to talk about the team the behind um yeah we have a good of uh, 10 people 10 15 people so who are the behind the scenes because i think everybody when they think about this kind of thing they often focus on maybe just the beat maker and maybe they think mm -hmm. about the engineers and whatnot so why don't you walk us through like what a collective would look like in terms of the roles required to pull this off well uh a collective i work with as well is uh black jungle uh shout out prince tiger um, that jungle is a, is an entertainment, uh, company and, uh, they, we, we offer, uh, management, uh, agents, uh, the whole nine from, um, show producer, uh, promoters and everything producers. So that's, uh, they're working on our team. So those are the numbers from there. So black jungle, shout out to them. And a lot of them are or a lot of the connections with me, uh, my management, um, agents, producers, uh, lawyer, whatever. We uh, we make sure we stay in one unit. But um, what are the, like the roles? Like what kind of, let's say I wanted to make my own collective. So I need a video person. Yeah. Would that be like, what, what are the different people that I need in the team to like pull that off? Mm, engineers, producers, your artists and um, promoters, uh, marketers, a good PR, good PR agent, and um, a, man a manager. Once you have those aspects of things, um, it, it takes you out of the loop to uh, have you just focus on your music and not having to focus on the other business aspects because you don't want your mind to be all over the place on what they should be doing or this should happen or this should happen that should be taken care of by someone else so the goal of an artist would to be just to focus on the music just deliver the music um so what did the pr role do for you because i don't think a lot of us talk about pr very much mm. well pr um you want someone to represent you and uh, especially when you're talking about being a gateway in another country. Um, my PR, uh, we managed to reach a gateway to uh, New York. Uh, we worked with uh, Vinny Idol. Uh, we just had an interview with Buckshot. So we're working a lot with the Death, Death Jam crew. And uh, so 
that that that's intentional to uh, my PR, my PR agent. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have had that connect, you know, from uh, Montreal to New York. Shout out Blondie. Yeah, the Blondie show. Shout her up. That's cool, man. So anyway, uh, um, yeah. So having a good PR is important, and um, for an artist, your 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 sole focus should be on your art. You shouldn't have to worry about the other aspect. As long as your team has your back, you're you're good. Uh, what about marketing? Because I feel like this is an area where a lot of people struggle, especially like even myself. That's kind of half of why I want to do this is because I get to hear all of your cool marketing ideas. What have you found to be effective marketing paths that you and your team have taken? Because I love the fact that you have a team, right? Because it means also that there's just more brains in the room, more people involved in it. And you did say it takes a very long time to build that team. So don't be in a rush, maybe. Find the right people, put it together, have that vision. Um, but what kind of marketing do y'all get up to? Marketing. Um, a lot of that, I make sure I deal with that with the promoter. So having a promoter, not only for shows, but having a promoter to promote your, promote your stuff online and mm. market you. Um, basically he would hit up networks, hit up, uh, radio stations, hit up whatever, you know? So in that way, you would realize you're generating a fan base uh, in the background without without knowing like how's this happening. But that's literally the work of your promoter. And with your promoter, just you know the market. It's a market online, social media. So if Make I sure you're heard. So if I understand correctly, what you're saying is, don't necessarily be a jack of all trades because you're a guy who basically tried that at one point. And now yeah, what yeah. you're saying is find specialists that do specialist shit and trust the specialists to do their shit. Exactly. That's a, that's a really insightful thing. Um, so what's coming next? What are we going to expect from the future? Because Halloween has come and passed. A month has gone by. Mm. Well, definitely you can expect a Christmas uh, single. Um, I'm definitely going to release one in Christmas and a lot of new music in January, uh, in 2021, uh, we have a lot of new stuff, exciting stuff, uh, that we're going to share on all platforms and, uh, a lot of music videos. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of videos cooking and, uh, yeah, we just want to really get our stuff out there, get our brand out there. Um, we're working also on our own podcast. Uh, we want to stream. We want to network, um, branch off into the gaming industry and uh, general entertainment. So can you, um, are you able to elaborate a little more on what some of your future plans are, how you're going to approach that? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, so with the team, um, it's literally uh, pretty much set in stone. Uh, they contact with other labels, executive radio stations, um, dancers, artists. And so what we want to do is that when everything gets back into normal, everything starts kicking and running again, uh, we want to do a tour. And we want to do a North American tour, start off, end off in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, make sure that we could give Canada an exciting show. And uh, yeah, really branch off from there. Fair enough. Um... So do you have anything else that you think that you want to share with everyone? Anything else? Um, 
Yeah, I want to talk to the people. Um, follow your dreams. That sounds cliche. Follow your dreams. Um, make sure that you not only understand your purpose, but that you have purpose in life. Mm. And uh, whatever you want to do in life, uh, nothing's stopping you but you. Excel. Go for it. So uh, just one more quick question here. Are you currently still reading? Is that still something you get up to? Mm. Not much reading, a lot of writing, because uh, uh, I'm inspired. But when I when I need some inspiration, reading really helps. Reading and uh, really uh, picking up things from your surrounding, you know, uh, seeing your environment, seeing people. Uh, I, I, feed, I feed off that energy, you know, and it really helps me to express myself in my music as well. That's really cool. Um, on that note, it was really cool to have you here, man. I really feel like you shared a whole bunch of knowledge with us. You shared a lot of interesting stuff. I really enjoyed it. Um, I would look forward to hearing about you in the future, having you come back on here. And so on that note, I'm going to do my little outro thing for the whole YouTube video side of this. Thank you all for watching, everyone. Totally appreciate you being here. Feel free to leave a comment down below because when Young Easy does come back, we are going to uh, definitely ask him the questions that you leave. Hit that like button, subscribe, follow, depending on wherever you're at. And uh, special thanks to the patrons. Ismail Gadamsey, Chris Prado, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black Hurricane, Linda Williams, and Scribble. They're dope. If you want to support us, you can totally hit us up at patreon.com slash behind that suit. Uh, your lady friend Bonnie is thanking you for uh, sharing your story with us because yo it was a very fascinating thing with a lot of nuggets that we took out of it um anyhow looking forward to seeing y'all next time those watching for the next interview and yo live long and prosper everybody mm -hmm.